Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. This episode of Military Wife Life is proudly brought to you by Defence Bank. Serving those who protect us, Defence Bank have the largest on-base branch network with 37 locations around Australia. They have Army, Air Force and Navy covered. To find your closest branch, visit defencebank.com.au. Welcome, Kelly, to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks, Beck. So you and your husband have been together for almost seven years. Can you tell me how you met? We actually met... On RSVP, I had not long separated from my ex-husband and was kind of dipping my toes in the water of dating again. Um, I'd been with my ex-partner for 18 years, so single life was all new since I was a teenager. So yeah, we met on RSVP and went on our first date. And then I think it was eight weeks between our first date and our second date because he actually went away in that time. So we went on our second date and that was it. And how did you find coming into the relationship when he had been in defense for some time and I guess being set in certain routines and ways of doing things and you know going away or posting and all of that sort of stuff but then having to account for a new partner. I guess in terms of you know I thought I had a pretty good understanding of how it would go because my dad had also been in the defense force he had done you know 20 years and got out and got back in again so I thought I knew what it would be like to be the partner or the girlfriend of someone in the defense force. And as it turned out, it was very different being a partner than a daughter. I guess to a degree, or I was pretty lucky in that my husband was never, since we've been together, he's kind of never been that regimented type defense member. He's pretty good at going with the flow. I had children um, when we went in the relationship. So he kind of had an open mind to you know, we can't have that strict strict routine and strict schedule and things are going to change day to day and week to week with kids involved. As far as him going away, there were certain things like initially communication when he went away was terrible. So he was used to not having to communicate with anyone when he went away. And, it, you know, that was something that we really struggled with probably even after we started living together. So it was good two years or so down the track before we got that sorted we also went through quite a long period of time where he had a half-packed bag next to the bed which to me always represented the fact that he was never going to be home for long and he was going to be going again and that was something that I struggled with especially once I moved into state to be with him with the kids so that was pretty tough you know we kind of got through all of those things and worked out what worked for each of us and yeah muddled through. I guess you mentioned your dad was in the Air Force and you thought you kind of had that little bit of background to what military life or defence being a defence family was like what was your introduction to defence life like though? When we were in the same state as each other he spent a fair bit of time away like he'd do short trips you know a few days here or a week there and we're only in the same state for four months so you know I guess probably a quarter of that time he wasn't at home and I got used to the last minute phone calls of you know can't make our dates tonight I'm going to Townsville and then when we lived apart he posted interstate and went on a course and you know as with happens with the defense force you know a short course turns into a much longer course leave gets cancelled he was supposed to come home at some point and didn't 
So they were all things that I had to be very aware of. And obviously knowing that these things happen, you know, with dad in the Air Force, there had been countless trips that we would be expecting him home and, you know, planes went unserviceable and that sort of thing. So that was something that I was used to, but having, you know, knowing that as a daughter and having that frustration as a partner, especially when we were living in different states and we were doing the long distance thing was pretty tough. And then when the kids and I moved into state, we were only there for five weeks with the, all of us together. And he went on what was supposed to be a seven week course and ended up being 12 weeks. So that was probably the biggest challenge in that I had just moved states with these four little kids. And suddenly I was like a single mum for three months. It'd be different if you were both just out of high school and it was first serious relationship and you were going through the defence journey together, but you've both probably had relationships and, you know, you've had relationships with civilian people and are probably comparing things to, well, this is how it was with this person yeah. and <laughs> you've totally got to shift your mindset and your expectations of what a relationship is like with a defence member. It's hugely different. And I guess unless you've been in that position, you, you can kind of talk to civilians about it and, you know, about your partner being away. And they're like, oh, yeah, I understand. You know, my boyfriend went fishing on the weekend. <laughs> you know, that's that's what my life was like, I guess, prior to getting involved with my husband. But having to change, change your expectations because you can't expect them to be home on a particular day. And, you know, you know that if you tell, especially once there's kids involved, you tell the kids that he's coming home on X day, chances are he's going to come home three or four days later. Very rare that he would actually come home early. I think it maybe happened once or twice that he surprised us and came home early. But like I could never plan things with him in mind. Even initially, I very quickly had to adapt and go, you know what, this is what the kids and I are doing. When you're at home, you can fit into it. When you're not, we still go about our day-to-day life and routines. It is kind of changing from being in that two-person relationship to the three-person relationship where you've got you, him, and the Defence Force. And so how did the kids handle being introduced to him and then the lifestyle of the Defence Force and him coming and going and all of that sort of stuff? How did that go and how did the kids, you know, get their heads around that? I think kids are a lot more resilient than what we are. I think for them, like they were quite young, obviously, when him and I met and we've always included them in, do we move into state to be together? Do you guys want to move into state and have him there all the time? And they were quite little, but, you know, I still had that conversation with them. As far as him coming and going, I guess, you know, initially you turn it into a little bit of a, you know, it's an exciting thing and counting down days until you realise that doesn't work because you have to add more days at the end you know the kids I guess have you know obviously being mine biologically they're always more reliant on me but there is that extra bit of we always go to mum first because she's the one that's always here and he feels that you know I guess in a dad role he's like why don't they come to me when they want to drink or when they want this or whatever but you know and then trying to explain to him that it's the same in civilian world you know and it's the same when both parents are the biological parents kids just always go to mum unless it's something that they particularly want him to fix or do then they'll go to him but I guess that's just the way kids go but yeah I think the kids have certainly shown a lot more resilience at times than what I have. So how did your husband go feeling like he could create that bond with your kids with him coming and going like did he 
have any trouble doing that? Like, how did you navigate that? It wasn't really something we talked about. He's um, He comes from a family where his dad was, I guess, like his mum worked night shifts for 20 years and his dad was very hands-on. So he has kind of had that example and he's always been very hands-on with the kids in terms of, you know, now he coaches their sports teams. He has done the middle of the night hospital trips he you know gets up with sometimes gets up with him in the morning he's tried to make the effort to when he's at home in the morning he takes them to school or if he's at home in the afternoon he'll pick them up so I guess you know trying to get home early to be with the kids and that sort of thing and taking them to do stuff and like he certainly makes the most of the time of when he is at home when you guys first got together did you at any point think this is going to be too hard or I should really think long and hard before getting into this relationship because of the defense factor what went into it when you you guys were first getting together did you discuss you know what it would be like to be a defense couple and and all that that entails probably not as much as we should have in hindsight I think we just really clicked from the start and you know initially like between it was between our first and second date that he told me he was posting interstate you know he said I really want to see you again but I understand if you don't want to get involved and at that stage I was like you know what I just want someone to hang out with when I don't have the kids we can go out for dinner and and see what happens and then the time came for him to post out and we both realized that things had got a little bit more serious than we had anticipated but we never really discussed and I don't know whether it was because my dad was already in the defense force that it kind of seems like I had a good understanding of what it was going to involve and you know we knew there would be postings we knew he would go away and I guess I probably romanticized it a little bit more than what I would now you know it's like oh there'll be these nice homecomings and things like that but it, it doesn't always go that way you know I thought oh, he'll go away and you know absence makes a heart grow fonder and you know what it's like when you've got kids and they're away and different things come up and Murphy's law is that as soon as they step foot on the helicopter or wherever that you know the boat whatever they're doing something's going to go wrong I guess initially there was a little bit more resentment than what I had anticipated um more so than it being a romantic the notebook but we didn't really discuss it I guess we've kind of just gone with the flow the whole time and which is probably isn't a bad thing because things change so much in the defense force you have your plan a and your plan b and go back to plan a and then plan c so I guess not being tied down to any particular thought process about what it involved has probably helped so whereabouts are you guys posted at the moment and what does your husband do in the military? Does it take him away a lot? Is he home Monday to Friday? Like what is his situation with his job in defence? At the moment we're in Sydney. He's in aviation. Since we've done this posting, which we're coming up to the end of our fourth year in Sydney, he hasn't been away much at all. I think he did a couple of weeks away in probably our first or second year here and he did a couple of nights away with the Com Games a couple of years ago but apart from that like he did do a couple of years in aviation flying helicopters at night so he did a lot of night flying so the kids and I got into our own afternoon routine but for the last almost two years he's kind of done nine to five apart from all the time that he's been working at home so that's been another big shift for us adjusting to it not being the kids and I at night and having that other parent there all the time when they get they come home and things like that what does the near future hold with postings and deployments or any time away deployments aren't looking likely you know he's been in for nearly 30 years and he's kind of getting past the deployable age i guess and fitness and health and stuff like that posting we're looking at posting at the end of this year obviously at the moment as with everything else everything's up in the air so we don't have any firm answers in terms of we've been told that we're posting to townsville but you don't believe anything until you're actually there 
again, the kids are aware of, you know, what the likelihood is and we're looking at, you know, looking to the future and moving up there and then we'll play it by ear from then on. And do you feel like that will then be like another level of defence life because you'll be posting, you know, to another state and all a bit new? as opposed to staying in, you know, I guess Sydney for four years. That's quite a long time for a posting. Yeah, we actually really enjoy the moving aspect of it. The kids are at an age now where I think Townsville would be the ideal posting for them. You know, the outdoor lifestyle, we all really miss being near the beach. We miss having a more laid back lifestyle than what Sydney offers. So although there are ages where they're now having to change schools, they're having to leave friends and all of those sorts of things, we kind of turn it into an adventure. And what are we going to do in this location that we didn't do or couldn't do in Sydney? You know, we did all the touristy things in Sydney. What are we going to do in Townsville? You know, what did we do in Brisbane and that sort of thing? So luckily I've got some family up in Townsville. So it'll actually be nice to be in a location where I've at least got a cousin and his wife. So what is your field of work and how easy is it for you to travel to different locations and, and pick up work within your field of work? At the moment, I run my own business. We do health and fitness for women. So outdoor group training type thing. A lot of our focus or a lot of our clients are military wives because we're in a location where there is, you know, a strong defense community. A lot of our work is based on self-love and, you know, teaching women, you know, how to exercise their bodies and obviously that move their bodies and that sort of things, but also how to love their bodies and love themselves for who they are. And, you know, it can kind of get a little bit lost, I guess, especially for defense wives. I found personally that our husbands being that little bit different and being trained, you know, they're not the, you look so beautiful kind of guys that, you know, full of compliments. So we've kind of found a way for women to get that for themselves without having to rely on their husbands to say it because we know they mean it. They just don't tell us all the time. Teaching the women to love who they are and be proud of who they are. And, you know, it's not just about the exercise. We do a lot of work on their self-esteem and confidence and that sort of thing too. How did you go with, because you're, partner when you met him had been in defense for so long with Mm -hmm. finding out about any of the supports or anything that was available to dependents and and things like that when you first got together did was it a learning curve for him as well or did you seek the information out like how did you go with learning about what was available for defense kids and defense partners for the first couple of years i don't know whether he didn't he didn't really know what was available for defense wives like he'd been married before and his wife had been here but I don't think she was the sort of person probably that actually sought extra support either so he just had no clue what was available for spouses when we're in Brisbane and I guess I didn't kind of seek it out up there because we weren't near an army base we were near an air force base I had a lot of girlfriends who were air force wives um, and I did training with them and exercise with them and that sort of stuff so I had a good support network up there anyway When we moved to Sydney, initially I kind of got involved with the local defence community group and, you know, I guess through them and through local pages, you know, defence spouse pages, you kind of get to know what's available and, you know, DCO and Open Arms and the local defence force group holds where the community group and that sort of thing. So I guess through talking to other people and certainly if there's been support that I've needed, I've 
become much better at reaching out. And I've also, I guess, having the business here and supporting army wives in our way, I've had to seek out what services are available so that I can refer our clients to them if they need them as well. And I guess in some instances, you were finding stuff out and probably letting your husband know about things because he hadn't really been in the mindset of, well, I need to find out about the ADF health card or I need to find out about, you know, the community house or whatever the case may be. He didn't really have any idea about that. It kind of got to the point, I guess, as with any military partner, you do the bulk of the home admin and following things up and we only kind of involve them when we need them to physically do something on PM keys or something that can only be done on their system. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Apart from so that, we don't A little bit after you and your husband got together, he was diagnosed with PTSD. Can you talk us through what that diagnosis was like and, and how that came about? Hey Military Wife Life community, I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about the Defence Bank Foundation and the great work they're doing in the defence community. The foundation raises funds to support serving and ex-serving ADF members living with injuries or illnesses such as post-traumatic stress disorder. In 2019, the sole beneficiary of the foundation was the Defence Community Dogs Program, a specialised dog training program which rescues abandoned dogs and trains them through correctional services. 40 service dogs have been trained and given to veterans since the Defence Bank Foundation was established. The program gives dogs, inmates and veterans a second chance at life. I mean, I guess the diagnosis wasn't the toughest bit. It was the months leading up to the diagnosis that were really hard for both of us and as a family. And it was kind of a gradual thing over a period of about six months. Things started to change very rapidly. I guess the first thing to go really was the intimacy between us. He couldn't stand any full touch. He started having what kind of, I guess on the outside, kind of looked like Tourette's type fitting. I don't know. It's really hard to explain. It was like really obvious muscle spasms and twitches, which I guess was upsetting for me to see. It was upsetting for him because he couldn't control it. And it was confusing for the kids because they're like, what the hell is going on here? And then, you know, he went through stages of the anger started to kick in because he was so frustrated. He, you know, had really low tolerance and patience for anything. He was still completely hands-on with the kids. He never raised his voice, never got angry. He just became the person that you were kind of walking on eggshells a little bit for around six or seven months. Um, And it was only a month before we got married that things really came to a head. Um, It was actually on my birthday that ended with him in tears and me just begging him to go the next day and get help. He had been seeing a psych through work, a psychologist, and you know, that was monthly or fortnightly or something. And I just said to him that night, look, I need you to go and get an emergency appointment with your psychologist tomorrow. Like this just can't go on. And he went to the psychologist in the same day, they sent him to see a psychiatrist um, and they started him on a medication, which was mainly to relax his muscles. So because he was just, he was so tired from this muscle twitching and so frustrated by it. That was their first focus was just to get that under control and then to start to manage him from there. I guess even with me, like I can't honestly tell you exactly when the diagnosis came. I've kind of always just been thankful that he's gone and he's seen his psychologist or he's seen his psychiatrist or he's gone and seen, you know, the neuro to have EEGs and, you know, sleep studies and stuff for this fitting type thing. And he's told me what's going on, but he's kind of told me at different times that this is what they've said, but there's no defining moment when we can say, okay, this is when he was diagnosed. You know, like I don't know when the diagnosis came, whether it was sooner and he held off telling me or whether it was, you know, when it all came to a head the month before our wedding. 
how did you cope with such a shift in the way he was presenting himself because obviously you've been together for a couple of years before you got married and everything was fine and then what was it that shifted things? It was a really gradual thing and it wasn't until after that I looked back and realised, you know, wow, I was just walking on eggshells for six months. I coped with it by making sure that the kids were okay. There were a lot of tears at night time, you know, especially because I couldn't hug him and he couldn't hug me. He couldn't touch me. There was no intimacy, anything like that. Um, So there was none of that reassurance from him that we were going to be okay. So yeah, my biggest focus was just on day to day, getting through the days, making sure everybody was okay. And then I guess at night or if he was away, then falling apart. You know, we've always talked openly about what was going on and about how he has felt. There's been times that he just can't verbalise how he's feeling. And there were other times that he's just said, look, it's like having all of these tabs open, you know, on Explorer or on the internet and just not knowing which one to click on. It's just from one to the other and all of these things just coming at you at once. So I've said to him a number of times, like, I would love just to have a good understanding of what it feels like from perspective. Yeah. So when he sought that initial support, you mentioned he was going regularly to see a psychologist. Was it, did he come forward and say, I, I need help? Or was it that you prompted him to? How did he initially start to get that support? He was on course in Canungra. So in the time that we lived in different states, he went on a warrant officer's course in Canungra and struggled with that. You know, he said later part of it was just us being apart he didn't have that extra support and being away from the kids had affected him more than he anticipated but then they started doing things like the court you know the legal aspect of the course and um, the burial and that sort of thing and he had a really bad day one day doing either the court stuff or the ceremonial burial stuff and that night he facetimed me and he messaged me the next day and said, I have to go and see Psych. I threw the laptop against the wall last night, like I'm not coping. So he had to march off course and he didn't complete it. And then he was flagged for needing psych help. And I guess that's when the process really started. So we had been together probably six or so months then. I think as far as I understand, that was how they initially flagged him to see Psych. And that's when he started seeing somebody. And that would have been a huge step for him to do that because like you mentioned, he, he did then have to get pulled off the course, which, you know, any defense member will avoid at all costs having to do (laughs) something again or having to be backclassed or whatever the the case may be because of medical. And then, you know, there's the whole stigma around Mm -hmm. mental health and, you know, if they find out I've got something going on, they might kick me out and all all of that sort of stuff. So for him to take that step and and seek the support rather than try and deal with it and make it even worse would have been huge. Yeah. And I mean, he's great like that, you know, in terms of any of the support we've needed along the way, because obviously, and I guess coming into a relationship where we've both had ex-partners and issues with them and with kids and, you know, all of that sort of thing. There's been challenges in our relationship as there would be in any civilian relationship, but then you throw defence life, moving into state, being away from family and PTSD and things like that into it. And, you know, there's been times that we've seen counsellors together and I've said to him, look, will you come? And he's like, yep, sure. So he's always been very good at accepting the help that he needs and understanding that he needs it and that it benefits us as a family. So he's never had that you know I'm going to do what I need to do to stay in the army because that's my priority it's always been I'm going to get whatever help I need and whatever help I can get from the military to better our life as a family that's huge very uncommon for yeah (laughs) 
guys in that position. So once he started seeking that support, did it sort of uncover what was going on with him? Did he even initially know what was going on with him and why he was having the trouble that he was having? I think initially he thought he was just angry um, about what had happened in Afghanistan. That was, you know, that was the big thing. It was, you know, we had a helicopter crash and then there was the inquiry and he was angry at the way things had been handled. So initially, I think that's all he really thought it was. He has always said, you know, he doesn't have the flashbacks about the helicopter crash that a lot of the guys, you know, that have been in battle and things have had. And it's only different times when I've asked him questions that, you know, I've even had an understanding of it of exactly what happened. So it's not something that he really, I guess, dwells on. The bigger thing was the inquiry. And, you know, he had had to go interstate for that. And he was in a motel room on his own for three months and having to go to court every day and all of that sort of stuff. So that probably took more of a toll on him. But yeah, as far as him then understanding what was happening, I don't think so. I think it was just, initially, they just think it's normal. It's just a side effect of having deployed. So initially he didn't think he was going there because this is what happened to him in Afghanistan or like, you know, did he initially think I'm going there because I'm really angry because I'm away from my wife and kids? Like he knew he was going there because he had, he kind of had a panic attack when he was on course. So they were like, okay, we need to find out what's caused this and prevent this from continuing to happen. So he knew that he was going there because, you know, the anger had built up and he couldn't control it. And, you know, there were feelings about, you know, this inquiry that needed to be dealt with. And he always knew, I think, that there was a possibility he had PTSD. So he always knew that he was going to see people and have treatment and stuff leading towards being diagnosed. I guess so many of the guys have been diagnosed in the last few years or since Afghanistan. So he was very aware that that was a high probability that that was kind of the point they were going to get to. You mentioned that it initially started fairly early on into the relationship and then got worse just before your wedding and that it was affecting intimacy and and that side of your relationship. How did that go when you were such a new couple and, you know, obviously you're wanting to show love and affection for each other and, and build that bond with each other, especially when initially you were sometimes away from each other and stuff like that. How did you navigate that side of things? Honestly, we probably still haven't fully navigated that side of things. That has probably been the biggest, the biggest issue in our relationship ever. Intimacy was never high on his list of priorities. And like there was six months before we got married where, you know, he couldn't even touch me. And that was, for me, I was seeing it going, oh my God, we've decided to get married and he's terrified. And because my ex-husband, he'd cancelled two weddings, nine and 10 weeks before our wedding. So for me, I was just waiting. I'm like, you're going to cancel the wedding any minute. And you're so terrified. Even the mention of the wedding had him fitting and things like this. So yeah, there was so many tears, like so many tears, so many times that one or two o'clock in the morning, I was crying in the shower. It's been probably one of the toughest things I faced ever in a relationship. And it probably has been for him too. You know, while it's not easy for me, I'm like, my husband doesn't want to touch me and things like that. You know, I'm not desirable. I'm all of this sort of stuff. For him, he's like, oh my God, I can't please my wife. You know, I can't show her in the way that she wants to be shown or needs to be shown. Thankfully, he has always been very verbal, like always tells me that he loves me, even if he doesn't tell me, you know, you look beautiful and whatever. So I think the fact that he's always been able to tell me that he loves me, that, you know, he's always been able to hold my hand. So even when there was no intimacy, you know, he could hold my hand. He's 
didn't stop kissing me when he got home from work and that sort of thing. So had there not been that very basic level of affection, things would have been very different. I mean, something like that is not something that is usually associated or spoken about in regard to PTSD. No, but having spoken to so many specialists now, like, you know, someone that I see myself and, you know, counsellors that we've seen, sex therapists that we've seen, it's the first thing to go typically with PTSD and it's the last thing to come back on the healing journey. So I remember when we had been together 18 months, we went to a barbecue at a friend of his and the friend had been in the army and he'd been out and he had PTSD. And I remember talking to his wife and something came up and she said, we haven't had sex for 12 months. And I was horrified. I was like, what do you mean you haven't had sex for 12 months? I'm like, okay, we only do it once a month or something, but 12 months. And I remember getting in the car to my husband and going, my God, did you know they haven't had sex for a year? Like, can you imagine that? Next minute, that was us. And it was nearly two years we went without sex. You know, I know that there's been times that he's just been like, please don't leave me. And I've said to him, I'm not going to leave you because I love you. And, you know, our marriage isn't about sex. You don't realize what an important part of your relationship it is until it's not there or until it's withheld. But I guess once your marriage goes deeper, it's like, okay, we're in it for the long haul and it's not perfect. But if this is the worst thing, then, you know, we'll get through it. And so you said the experts say that it's usually the last thing to come back after you're sort of, you know, on the path to dealing with the PTSD and the underlying issues. Yeah. What kind of commitment does it take from both of you to, to keep moving forward with trying to fix that area? It's for us has been constant, I guess, constantly trying different things. You know, like I said, we went and saw a sex therapist and then we went on a holiday for a month and we're like, okay, maybe things will be better. And we didn't have sex the whole time. We're away from the kids. You know, things were great, but it didn't happen. We still both see different people individually. He sees someone to work through, you know, the PTSD and try and, you know, trying different cognitive behavior therapy and different things like that, which help. He sees the doctor on base and gets medication to try and help. And I have been seeing someone myself who I was referred to through open arms to, I guess, work on myself, you know, and kind of being okay with who I am and not focusing on getting that validation from him. And funnily enough, working on myself has made him more interested. So, you know, there were so many times that when he was at his worst, we'd get into bed and I'd say to him, do you feel like sex? And I look back now and think that just must have been like torture for him. But, you know, now it's kind of got past that and we kind of try and work on it in different ways so that there's less pressure on him and then less rejection on my part as well, I guess. And so aside from the obviously supports that you're seeking and the support you're getting through professionals, have you looked for any support through other spouses that are experiencing similar things or what what else are you doing to, I guess, look after yourself? Like obviously the girls that I train and work with, especially the defence ones, we've become quite close friends. And it's something that I have kind of never felt the need to hide. Not that I go around, you know, putting it in a newsletter, but I figure if it's happening to me, it's happening to others. And none of the husbands want their wives talking about the fact that they don't have a high libido and the women don't want to talk about it because they don't want to verbalize that they feel rejected by their husbands. So I do spend time with girlfriends and I, you know, I'm quite open about it, I guess, as a lot of us are about different challenges in our marriage. I focus a lot on self-care in, in terms of looking after my health and fitness, you know, going to the gym, trying to eat well, taking downtime from 
you know, away from him and the kids and reading a book and, you know, having a bath and doing a face mask once a week and just doing those things that make me feel good about me as opposed to having to rely on him or anyone else for that validation and things. But I do have a good support network of girlfriends and we catch up for coffee and there's different groups of girls. You have different groups of friends even when you're moving around. So there's the school mums, there's the defence wives, there's the civvy wives and I guess you go to who you need to at different times. But it's been a it's been a tough journey without being near your closest girlfriend, which is your mum. And I guess you know, you're both committed to each other that, you know, you're in it for the long haul, but it doesn't make it any easier on those hard days when you think, wow, life would be a lot easier if this wasn't happening to us or if PTSD wasn't a part of it or if, you know, this didn't happen. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's been so many times that I have just said to him, far out what if this is forever that's something that i have really needed to try and look into the future and gone what if our sex life is an issue for the next 20 years how do i cope with that you know how do you kind of get your head around this could be it forever and it's those times that you really have to come back to all the other good parts of your marriage and the good parts of your relationship and the good parts of your partner and go you know what i'm not just here for those five minutes of 10 minutes of sex once a week i'm here for those other six days and 23 hours but the tough days can be really tough i mean on the flip side the alternative would be like for a lot of couples separating and no longer being together because it is it or it does just seem too hard yeah and i guess you know if you love sex more than you love your partner you're not a defense spouse are you because what are you gonna do when they get deployed for six months you're in big trouble then exactly so you've got to be used to abstaining at least a little bit exactly (laughs) oh gosh thank you so much for coming on the podcast kelly and telling us all about your journey as a spouse and obviously the things that often aren't spoken about with regard to ptsd and and the other effects it has on marriages and family life (laughs) you are absolutely welcome thanks for having me I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 